0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ran About It by the BU chapter of the Philosophy, Politics, and Economic Society. To stay updated on all our future events, follow us on Instagram at BUPPE Society and check out our website, ppesocietybu.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening and now into the discussion.
1: Hi everyone, so you are listening to Ran About It. In first September, uh, we talked about two topics on our event. Uh, One is the U.S.-China competition, and the other one is the vaping ban and illness epidemics. So, I'm Zoe, and...
2: I'm Owen. Hi, guys.
3: Uh, I'm Thomas.
2: And I'm Anibirto. Should we start the discussion? So, we are going
1: to start to talk about what we discussed in that discussion.
0: Yes. Anybody want to bring some starting points about the U.S.-China competition?
2: Well, I mean, let's talk about why. Uh, how how does the U.S. trade uh, U.S.-China trade war begin? Oof. Um. Yeah, I don't. Know, there's a lot. Of I time. mean, that would
3: yeah. that would require us to go back to eighty-nine, basically. Um, uh, but there there have been tra- there have been trade tensions brewing since China liberalized. Um, I think we can all agree, I think we can all agree on that, right? Yeah. Um, there's you know, been constant talk of steel dumping and of currency manipulation and things of that sort mm-hmm. um, uh, but just just recently in the uh, sort of um, uh, uh, with with Trump's election uh, we've suddenly we suddenly have uh, we suddenly have a government that is arg- that has arguably their only true political uh, conviction is their opposition to global trade. And so you're you're seeing this in Trump just occasionally uh, uh, imposing new tariffs either on China or on uh, other major uh, trading partners, just kind of on a whim, it seems. Um, Yeah, to to shake things Mm up, (laughs) it seems. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah, uh, one kind of main point that was brought up in the discussion was the current... I wouldn't say current, but it's a relatively recent uh, conflict that started in the, well, because of the South China Sea conflict of territory, People, uh, China and the U.S. kind of battling for uh, appropriation and the use of that trade uh, route.
1: Yeah, so we actually, um, so we we brought up why this is an important issue uh, because um, that involves economic zone and the shipping rights and access um, to certain areas and also a lot of trading partners. And one opinion brought up um, is that the U.S. is not serious enough about going to South China Sea.
0: So in this route, there's uh, approximately $3 Three trillion dollars in the exchange of goods around this route. Uh, China has been well. The thing is, the, the, the thing we talked about is that China has been kind of creating islands in order to claim that area. I think it's around thirty-two hundred acres now, and uh, the U.S. Uh, claims that this should be a free operations zone.
2: Well, I felt like um. I felt like partially it's because of uh, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping's uh, his ambition to uh, fulfill the Chinese dream. Because uh, I think, in his perspective, like he felt like China should um, regain like the stuff that they had lost um, back in uh, the eighteen hundreds uh, with the decline of the Qing Dynasty and with like the race to scramble for China. And I felt like, you know, reclaiming the South China Sea as like part of Chinese uh, uh, water territory is one of his first steps to achieve that aim. Is to project China's power beyond its uh, beyond its sovereign borders.
3: In in fa- in fairness, I would say that China probably hasn't been able to project power since the early Ming Dynasty is the latest. Um, and so it's, it's a bit, it's, this is, this is a bit more in the, uh, Mussolini range of geopolitical fantasies than it is in the, I don't know, Russia range of geopolitical fantasies. <laughs> um, uh, the one thing I would say about the whole South China Sea, uh, tension is that honestly, I think it's kind of died down since the 2016 election. And I'm not certain if this is just because the media has like the, at least, at least it hasn't in, in the West. And I'm not certain if this is because like in the Western media has, um, like you know, only so much coverage that they can dedicate to China, just because they have other coverage that they need to address or something like that. And so, with the right, with the escalating trade war, they're all they're they're covering that which is happening now, as opposed to the South China Sea. Or it's because you know, just Trump doesn't care about the South China Sea or any other myri- of the uh, myriad reasons. Uh, but the South China Sea is the only is the really the only place I could see like mean. Okay, I take it back. Is the only place I could see China causing a global conflict, like armed, like an armed conflict, um, you know, in the next thirty years or so? Um, you could ob- you could obviously have something like India-Pakistan drag China in, but that is something that I think we should exclude for the sake of analyzing just kind of you know U.S.-China tensions. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't think I was actually the one who brought up the idea that the U.S. is kind of unserious about this, and what I mean is that. Uh, the American public has kind of been traumatized by uh, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan in a way that they really haven't in any other case other than maybe Vietnam, um, and it's it's not it simply isn't the case that the U.S. could that the U.S. government could sell another war somewhere else, right? Like we freaked out about Syria back in 2013, despite the fact that it was basically just um, an attempt to wage an air war. Uh, you know, Libya is still brought up as kind of you know everybody point is something everybody points out as a failure of Clinton. Um, so, so, something is something as far removed as the South China Sea, which isn't like, which doesn't really have any ties to, you know, it doesn't have any immediate relation to say, uh, you know, human rights violations like you had in Syria, or Libya, or you know, a direct attack on the U.S. like you had with uh, Afghanistan. Or you know, claims of uh, you know, claim claims of what of the presence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Um, uh, trade is a kind of esoteric reason to go to war, um, or even to send aircraft carriers to patrol an area, and it's it's kind of it's 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 transactional in a way that I don't think Americans would be willing to accept. Um, and so I don't I there's there's no real risk of any sort of war actual ground war with China unless we're talking unless other geopolitical actors start, start getting involved like North Korea or Pakistan or something like
0: that yeah as I read about it uh, it definitely seemed like a, a power move from president Trump sending those uh, ships to to claim that this that area should be a free operation zone and anybody could uh, you know, pass through there. But, yeah, since uh, I think that was actually in 2016, so I don't think it's going to, as you say, escalate any, anytime soon.
2: Um, but I also felt like uh, part of the reason why Trump seems to not care about South China Sea is more because, of uh, first of all, his uh, election campaign, he promised that he would bring um, uh, America out like most of the uh, global affairs and focus more on domestic. And also, secondly, I felt like the... Uh, for America, they also had a lot of domestic problems to deal with. Like, for example, how to handle the transition from their industrialization to globalization, where um, all the industrial stuff got moved over to South, uh, Southeast Asia, or East Asia, or even South Asia. To uh, while you know finding a new role for America in uh, in globalization, and I felt like that's a problem that they haven't really managed to solve. And because of that, now the symptoms are showing up and now workers in America are not happy with that, that their jobs have been taken away because of globalization. And I felt like this is also going to be a serious problem that any future president has to deal with. And it's that, like, how to secure America's interests um, in terms of globalization.
0: Yeah, we can definitely see that on the shift of attention to the tariffs and other... Uh, trade aspects. Uh, Zoe, were you going to say something?
1: Yeah, I was just going to act um, the tension in South China Sea is also a tension on trade, like possibility of trade as well, because someone mentioned that China is not the only place trying to build island on, yeah. in the South China Sea area because I'm not very familiar with this, like the very specific words of it, but like, is this something in the international law Like the economic zone is like certain distance from territory or something. Yeah,
3: there's an exclusive economic zone. Uh, Typically, the maximum distance is, I want to say 200 miles, 200 knots, something like that, from uh, any territory held by a country. Of course, that doesn't apply in kind of these narrow seas that you see in like, you know, the southern or the northern parts of the South China Sea where... Land is closer than 400 miles together, in which case it splits right down the middle between the two um, the two territories in question. Um, and so China uh, – the Chinese in particular have read this as saying that, well, hey, if we just build more land
0: <laughs> – It's ours.
3: <laughs> then, then the ec- exclusive economic zone will be ours. Yeah. Um, I, f- mm-hmm. th- I feel
1: also like you – I don't know if anybody kind of noticed or not, but like the ownership of islands in South China Sea have been kind of not only between, not only on building islands, but like conflicts between China and Japan on, what is that that island called? Uh, I forgot
2: the Japanese name of um, that island, but I know in China they call it the Diaoyu uh, Islands.
1: Yeah, I I think it also like there is certain island between kind of the ownership like there are conflicts on ownership between Japan and Korea as well, and also J- China and Korea. I don't know about Korea, but I feel there's they like do, a they ch- do
2: in the Yellow Sea. Oh, okay. Yeah, and also um, Japan with Russia on the um, Northern Islands.
1: Yes, and also I feel like this is something very important. Is like how we define power. Is like and also why do we talk about? When, when Trump say, says this should be, like, a free area, is actually something, um, it's actually not, because people do have, like, ownership over certain territories and certain lands, and that, like, di- really dive down to uh, a lot of economic possibilities, and it also explains why mainland China always try to um, approach Taiwan, because Taiwan is very important in, for China in the way, same way as it kind of opens up a very specific geographic um, area for trade and portals and these kind of stuff. And for a trade war, we also talked about in the event the different developing stages for U.S. and China.
0: Yes, we had a quite a discussion about that. Uh, a lot of people seem to, well, it's it's a fact that China is growing faster than the U.S. And, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons. A big point that was brought up in the different stages of development between China and the U.S. was that because politicians stay in the long run in power in China, they have been able to set these long-term economic goals. Um, so, yeah, how, how do you... guys feel about that about that point
2: um i felt like um i mean they recently they announced uh made in china 2025 not back uh not long ago and i felt like that's a uh that i felt like that signifies that china also knows that it's gonna have to do its own transition as well otherwise it might um end up like something like in japan where like they fail to uh, transform their economy into a high-tech, well, I mean they do, but then it's not like such a huge scale. Relatively, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. I felt like that signifies uh, they're conscious about the problems ahead and they're trying desperately to try and think of methods to transform their economy, to keep the growth, wa- uh, growth rate uh, going. And so, but I felt like that's also one of the main problems in the U.S. is that, Um, the system itself, the political system itself does not encourage politicians to think in the long run for the country but instead everything is short-run and I felt like because of that um, they they have failed to some sort of uh, think about how to transform the US uh, uh, economy into a also a high-tech, high-tech based economy while also boosting up, uh, while also, I mean, helping the workers in America to transit into that kind of economy.
1: And also that really kind of go um, goes back to what we say about different developing stages for U.S. and China. Like, um, because um, Owen mentioned about that made in China or made by China 2025 is, is kind of like really looking into, like China right now, it has like a very... Like the economy has um, experienced such a very fast um, increase. Everybody is like income. Everybody is is earning a lot more, and for it also witnessed a lot of technological and scientific breakthroughs. But for U.S. right now, because it is it already achieved that developed stage. So like right now, there's not a lot of income increase in the past 20 years compared to China. All of the Breakthroughs, all of the achievements are done in the last twenty years. So it's a really, when we are talking about the two countries and two economies, there are very, there are two very different pictures that we are looking at.
3: There's a certain type of technocrat, and um, uh, you'll typically see them, you know, speaking wonders about Singapore and whatnot, um, who will take China's growth and Singapore's growth is proof that you know liberalism is a failed ideology um, and that there needs to be some sort of you know guiding uh, paternal force uh, that uh, dictates the the destiny of the nation or something like that Um, and it's to a certain extent I suspect that it's it's it it comes from a place of ignorance, um, sometimes willful, sometimes not, and it's an ignorance specifically of the law of diminishing marginal product of capital. Um, it's it's simply the, it's simply not the case that a high income country has as much potential for growth as a low or even a middle income country. Um, investment has more effect in a poor has has Higher yields in a poor place than it does in a rich place. That's just how that's just how the econ- economies everywhere work. And so you can't take China, which was desperately poor all the way into the mid '80s, and say, "Well, they've had a higher growth rate than the U.S. over this period of time." Just when they started desperately poor in the '80s, whereas the U.S. was one of the richest countries in the world at the time. The U.S. has had a you know solid two percent growth rate continuously since the 80s we've grown our our, i can't i can't remember what the actual gdp the um the real gdp per capita was in the 80s but we've grown by about 150 to 200 percent since then um we're definitely we are definitely better off than we have been at any other time in the past and so people will bring up things like um stagnate stagnating you know wage growth and stuff like this in the u.s um which, it, for, admittedly, if you first need to adjust for things like increasing healthcare costs, which are typically paid by employers, um, and so that so wage in itself doesn't capture the full picture of growth in the way that just GDP growth might, uh, because you know Americans American workers are still getting getting more for their work. It's just that it's not it's it's just that it's not liquid like cash is. Um, but even even still. Um, China admittedly has higher rates of you know income growth than the U.S. does, but that's because they have they had such a dismal income back in the '80s. If you if you look if you look at a country like India, they're starting to grow all of a sudden um, after having you know kind of gone through their market reforms in the '90s and 2000s, um, despite the fact that they're not a totalitarian state. Um, Countries like Botswana are typically the, you know, you know, with a long history of constitutional liberalism, are the most prosperous countries in sub-Saharan Africa, and it's 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 a dangerous mistake, I'd say, to conflate uh, to to conflate entrenched government with um, uh, with successful economic policy.
1: I feel this is a very broad, very complicated complicated topic we have a lot on the table but it's a very um if anyone wants like a expansion of the conversation there's a documentary called um american factory that just released on netflix in summer and and really kind of gives a focus on the picture of how the um u.s china kind of not only competition but the conflict about all the other stuff that kind of raised during this period of time. So it's a really good, um, if you really want to watch it, it's a really good watch. And we have something we haven't really covered in this podcast, but you can always check it online on our website, we posted a recap note. And we are going to move on to the vape ban and illness epidemics.
0: Well, as a starting point in the discussion, we talked about how uh, the media is, well, not the media, I, I would say, Politicians are blowing this out of proportion because relative numbers of injuries, uh, sickness, diseases, and and deaths caused directly by vaping are just minimal compared to other substances such as cigarettes. And uh, bans that happened, I think, in San Francisco and now in Massachusetts is banned
1: in Massachusetts, it just is actually just um, this month. Uh, the Baker government they um, paused the sale um, of
0: flavored. Yeah. Fla-
1: no, not only flavored. There are several states they are doing a flavor ban because they oh, okay. feel oh, um, teenagers and young people are driven um, to vape to vape because is flavor. There are a lot of very fancy flavors you can choose from. So they banned flavored, um, but then Baker government, they said they want to pause the sale of vape um, and then just to kind of get more information for the research institution to get like, what is really going on is all the deaths and hospitalized statistics have anything to do with vaping or anything like that. And also um, what we mentioned before, it, it seems very minimal, like maybe, Smoking cigarettes caused a lot more deaths, but at the same time, that is for a much longer period of time. And what I think we mentioned—the six deaths or all the hospitalized people—actually just kind of emerged within several months this year.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. You might you might even call Baker's initiative a total and complete shutdown on vaping until we figure out what the hell is going on. Yes. <laughs> especially given that it also has a four month duration.
0: Yeah, so it's it, it kind of the, the fact that it's temporary and just for four months kind of gives this gives it a way that they are really not sure what is happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of to give a little bit of more context well the the bad thing about vaping that we can all agree on is that younger people are picking it up, which the intended purpose of vaping was that people, that are already smokers kind of leave cigarettes for these vaping devices. But the well, politicians and institutions such as the FDA haven't been able to totally get support vaping because the fact that some companies uh, kind of exploited this cool new thing and gave it really sweet flavors, uh, really flashy marketing. A lot of brands that... Uh, Call themselves lifestyle brands, just to sell vapes, uh, uh, made younger people, young people such uh, as young as in as middle school, started using these devices, which are still uh, dangerous and uh, as we as we can see, cause other diseases. Um, one aspect that I think it's important th- to consider is that there are a lot of. In- Quotes black market products in vaping since it's a really new industry, so it's not as regulated as, I'd say, big tobacco or other dangerous substances. That's well, as regulated as, as they can be. Well, in my personal opinion, I think this uh van is kind of uh, a perfect example of how correlation and causation are confused. If if people are vaping there's a high chance that these people have been ingesting other dangerous substances such as maybe cigarettes or other types of vapes that are not completely I wouldn't say safe because they're not completely safe but they aren't completely regulated that's why uh, we're seeing more and more people getting sick and getting these diseases and even dying so yeah, I think the focus should be on how to make vaping work for what it was originally intended and how to regulate it to a point where institutions like the FDA can get behind it so people stop smoking, which is, I think it's the biggest cause of preventable deaths. Well,
1: I really want to question this. Is it really intended for, um, intended for, as a substitute to quit smoking tobacco uh, is at the first yes, place
3: yes so. yes it is
0: uh, well it still has uh, the nicotine which is kind of like the driving uh, subst- uh, component of of cigarettes that makes people addicted so it still has this nicotine so they can get this their nicotine fix but it gets rid of all the other uh, even cancerous uh components of cigarettes that make make it really uh dangerous for for people's health so yeah i'd say it's uh it was originally i think i'm not sure how old vaping is but as i uh, for the little research i've done (laughs) i found that the the original kind of development was to make people stop smoking get their nicotine fix but not smoke cigarettes
2: like there's like nicotine gum I know that um, they produce a lot in uh, Japan they also produce a lot in Hong Kong um, and also some in mainland China as like a way of subsidize uh, substitute um, uh, cigarettes and vaping so I felt like um, you know having nicotine candy instead I think that could alleviate the problem for a bit but I felt like the main problem I felt like up to this day politicians are still like that they still don't know how to solve like problems like these because I felt um, these temporary bans are just probably a way to ease up uh, the public's concern about it. And afterwards, uh, they go back to old business where like they keep selling uh, e-cigarettes and stuff. But I felt like because there's a lack of incentive to not smoke, I felt like that's the huge issue and I felt politicians have failed to introduce or think of a new incentive to keep people away from smoking. Mm.
1: And also I found it very interesting because we talk about the idea of banning. I found this very interesting because that kind of reminds me of John Stuart Mill, who is a very, um, who is a utilitarian um, and things banning, um poison or banning guns are very are although there's maybe there are um, dangers of certain things but it's just not good for the human beings in general as a whole because there are definitely more benefits if you do not uh, ban them you just allow them and make people make their own choice and also we talk about how um smoking versus vape and the danger of banning and also ban versus control because at the first place the government the government want to like control the market or take control of the market but is banning like a really good thing or the correct thing to do
0: yeah i'd say not at all as, as someone said, um these bans mostly seem like just signaling of of uh, concern. Concern. Yeah, exactly. If,
3: if I may, so there's two things here that are being somewhat conflated. There's vaping-related deaths, and then there are vaping-related illnesses, or more specifically, deaths that have been attributed to vaping, and illnesses that have been uh, that seem to be caused by vaping. Uh, the illnesses have a stronger case of actually being caused by vaping. Uh, I've seen some reporting that seems to suggest that some of the, that some of the deaths are just literally they had a vape in the room and then they died in that room. And okay. so the authorities went, ah, see, vaping, or something like that. I'm not certain, I, I would caveat that by saying I'm not certain how true that is for all six of the deaths. Um, though, in the case, it is universal that in the case of all six of the deaths, none of the deaths have been with nicotine vapes, have all been with cannabinoid vapes that were manufactured by uh, either small or independent uh, manufacturers, not by any of the big-name brands. This is... And you know these are, and they're typically filled by kind of like almost like garage-made uh, third-party um, cartridges. This is this is like the equivalent of um, uh, deaths due to like bathtub alcohol during prohibition. This isn't these these things are already arguably illegal. And even if they aren't, they aren't they aren't really what people think of when they think of vaping. These are kind of much more of a fringe thing. Um, and so we've. We've seen a certain level of moral panic around this. Um, really, f- moral panic for its own sake, I'd say. Um, I think this might get back to our argument on technocracy earlier, in that sometimes you can't, uh, one of the reasons why you can't trust uh, certain people, certain government officials to be uh, the ones who are tasked with steering the economy, um, is that they're idiots. Um, <laughs> and a great, agree- a great example of this I think would be um, there was a there was a hearing in front of some congressional committee committee recently um, in which um, a, a pro vaping activist had you know was being, was in front of the committee and she had previously been a smoker until she quit in order she, uh, quit smoking in order to vape um obviously I think this is a good thing because I don't think there's any reasonable person who would... Uh, the operative word here being reasonable. I don't think there's any reasonable person who would um, say that vaping is somehow more dangerous than smoking.
0: I think that's uh, just a fact. It's, yeah. uh, you can yeah, actually though, see scientific evidence. There,
3: there, there may be still people who dispute this because uh, Rashida, uh, Tlaib, uh, Rashida Tlaib, I, I'm not certain how to pronounce her uh, surname, but... <laughs> uh, so she first started by as soon as the, as soon as this activist said that she quit smoking, uh, 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 the congresswoman accused her of being a conspiracy theorist, and then she went on to assert that studies have demonstrated that secondhand smoke is more dangerous than firsthand smoking.
0: That, that's like yeah, that's right in the name.
1: <laughs> and Also, I feel that's also like we we talk about one thing really interesting about this is also about. The political movements about on banning vape. First, it's kind of like an issue about yeah, we all know vaping there there's certain danger of it, and we want to change the situation. But is political movements really helpful on make making that make making that happen, or we just need to have some other kinds of changes aside from political movements.
2: Um. <clears throat> I felt like um, political movement itself, it does like have a lot of people, uh, give people awareness that such problem exists and that it's serious. But then at the same time, um, the effects of it are really mostly uh, short run. Like for example, taking climate change, uh, sorry, I'm going a little bit off topic, but um, uh, like climate change, uh recently there's like a climate change protest all over the world and um and yeah it might raise uh, concerns that like climate change is real but then uh thinking about it stepping it back for the past 30 years we've been talking about this and nobody really cared and do you really think that such a huge political movement would just make uh these politicians to actually care about it? I don't really think so, because I felt like all they and also the companies that do, um, will only just think of some uh, tactics to uh, to pretend that we have solved uh, climate change, and then therefore they go back to their own business, just like what I said before. So that's why I felt like, Something beyond political movement should be uh, should be done instead. I felt like um, the government should work with activists uh, who uh, and also like people, uh, experts uh, in terms of you know, production, technology, or energy uh, in the energy sector. I felt like that's what they should do: is to work with these uh, people on how to. Uh, Progress forward into our switching from fossil fuels to uh, to renewable energies. I feel like that's a, one of the most important things we should do, and not just hear a shout, um, "Yeah, we need to uh, we need to stop uh, climate change." And then you just assume that politicians will be there and do the job for you. I don't really think so. Yeah, um, to dial,
0: to relate it back to the vaping ban, I I, I see your point and I agree that. Uh, what in uh well in addition to protesting and you know using your your voice to kind of put attention to an issue, you should uh, be aware that the only true uh, way to actually have a, a positive effect or have a move closer into the direction of solving an issue is just seeing that politicians actually get into regulation or get into Specific policies that will help uh, understand the issue and solve it in the future. In banning, in vaping, I'm sorry, um, seeing uh, politicians immediately go to ban instead of maybe investing in research to see what's actually going on, uh, regulating the the market of vaping so uh, these third-party low-quality products. That's how you get the control of, of the of an issue and it works with uh, smoking well with cigarettes they taxed the hell out of it it went down by a percentage that's that should be the focus, not just signaling that we are, we don't want to be you know uh, contributing to this issue instead of actually taking action to solve to solving it.
2: And I also felt like if
3: uh, if I may, real fast, uh, I'd I'd want to I'd want to correct one thing you just said, which is that um, cigarettes are almost like the textbook example of an inelastic good, in that in the grand scheme of things, uh, taxes have obviously uh, cut down on some uh, smoking, but I'd I'd say the the, a significant majority of the reduction we've seen in smoking has been due to public awareness campaigns, things like, you know, teaching in public health classes in school that, hey, smoking causes cancer, so maybe you shouldn't do it. Things like that. So maybe we sh- maybe if there is any actual demonstr, If we actually do someday come up with demonstrable evidence saying, hey, vaping causes illnesses X, Y, Z, or whatnot, um, we can add that to curriculum. But the point is we don't... But the point is in-, in a liberal society, we don't we don't issue commands like that. What we do is we give people the information they need to make intelligent choices, uh, but sometimes they'll make choices that we disagree with, and that's that's what it means to live in a liberal society.
2: Um, but I also felt like uh, institutions such as uh, universities should uh, play a major role in terms of um, uh, stopping vaping because uh, I felt like uh, universities are institutions where you produce like research and stuff, and I felt like those research do help at, or like giving up uh, suggestions on how to uh, police vaping, or maybe potentially police the entire tobacco industry uh, in the future. I felt like institu- ins- institutions like universities should step up um, in providing solutions, and not just letting the government do their own stuff, or letting um, business uh, do their own uh, do their own things to claim that they have done it, because. Research themselves. Sorry, I'm going a little bit more ethical uh, reason because research could be also be brought uh, could be also be bought by uh, by companies like uh, like the big brands. They can ask uh, some random group to randomly uh, make a data and say that vaping is still uh, doesn't really show any health issues. I don't think it should be like that. I felt like it should be just from the, inst- uh, like, schools themselves. Let the students find out, because, I mean, that's what we do, right?
0: Yeah, well, we I'd say uh, we trust that big decisions are made based on proper research, <laughs> not on fabricated numbers.
1: Okay, so we'll see how it goes. Um, for vaping, it's just like a very start... Um stage for the whole issue to um, uncover um, so we f- today we need to finish up um, and thank you for listening if you want to check out our notes for the event is published on our website and we also pub- um, enclose one video and a review of the documentary which we just mentioned before uh, American Factory in it as well. Um, and hope you enjoy our content and feel free to hop in our discussion every Thursday, which is 6.30 to 7.30, we are most of the time we are in CAS 310. And thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean, is there anything else? Thank you for tuning in. I don't Hopefully know. see you on, yeah, on the we'll next back, episode.
3: We we'll will be back next month.
0: Yes. See you next month.